Hello guys, welcome to the show. This one comes to you from the Cornish coast, just north of Newquay, south of Padstow, on a family holiday. Kind of a bit of a random departure from interviewing former athletes that have done the past few episodes, trying to kind of delineate and articulate that link between life and sport, what we get out of sport, how it enriches life, what it gives us character-wise, that kind of stuff, to explore something I talked about with my colleague at Sky Sports News, Tom White, who's a diehard Sunderland fan, and talked about the kind of uh, bereavement that he experiences and has, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, difficult time for the club as they've dropped down the leagues and how that can impact um, people, the emotion of being a fan, what we get out of being fans of sport, maybe on the positive side, the heroes, the role models, the uh, idea of uh, aspiring to greatness and mastery, but also the emotional collateral damage that perhaps a lot of people get following football that perhaps you have to kind of learn as you get adults to deal with in your everyday life. Um, and I've got my brother here. I've got three brothers actually on holiday with us, but one of them's a lawyer who's uh, worried that he might prejudice his chance to get in future clients who comes on with his Manchester United opinions. And Max, who is uh, a doctor brother, but he's out of the house at the moment. So I've got JJ, my baby brother. It's real contrast to me in the sense that although I lived out of the country in the 80s, we come from... Uh, I guess the sort of family of Manchester United fans, the dad supported them, but being a Welshman was more of a rugby man. But we lived uh, in the West Indies prior to JJ's birth, actually. And when we came back late 80s, started following United. Uh, actually, the sort of first main season was a season before they won the FA Cup under Sir, under Sir Alex Ferguson. They went on that kind of incredible run, League Cup 91, uh, Cup Winners Cup, sorry, 91, League Cup 92. And then the league, 93, and then 13 league titles in 20 years, a couple of Champions League, real heady time. Uh, and for JJ, who was born in January 1992, it's uh, a real change of scenery this last six years since Fergie went. It's been, it must be strange for you actually seeing United top and kind of, it's all, uh, it's all been a little bit different, hasn't it? Yeah, my first uh, memories of football were like uh, being six, like six, six or seven and uh, the remember particularly the tr- winning the treble. Yeah. And yeah, you'd have been seven you, in '99. Yeah, I was seven, and you guys. Were, I remember having the window open in the summer, and you guys like when we scored the when Solskjaer scored the final goal, everyone jumped out of the window. <laughs> like literally, ra- jumped out the window into the garden screaming. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and yeah, and then it, it, even even, I mean, for the next sort of ten years after that, even. And, and more really um, the assumption that we were going to be challenging or thereabouts or whatever for everything yeah was, um, but was also, awesome but there's an assumption of what was going right as well because you just don't know at the time it looks in hindsight I remember being eight when they won the cup in, in 1990 following the cup run that year got past Crystal Palace in the end in the final with a Lee Martin goal in the replay and it just felt that that kind of snowballed. Then when the Cup Winners' Cup v Barca in 91, and it just felt that there was a plan in place. It was always going to be that way. But I guess what I wasn't aware of as a young kid was the pressure on Fergie, the fact that he could have got dismissed perhaps that 89, 90 season, and then the whole mm. dynasty wouldn't have been there. But all the things that glued that success together perhaps just kind of lied in his consciousness, his emotional intelligence, his knowledge of yeah. football. What well, It's really weird because now we're looking at it and it's almost a befuddlement, isn't it? Because there's a lot of money being thrown at the club since 2013. Mm. And yet, if anything, it doesn't feel like it's getting any closer to, to reclaiming the summit. Well, that's the thing. It's not like we've had one... It's not like we're sort of like struggling in the aftermath of one great team. 
Because even in 90... I mean, obviously, Fergie built sort of three generations. Yeah. Level, even four, but... Even it was the 03 to 07 was probably the longest time yeah. before this time when you felt there was, yeah, there yeah. was a bit of doubt. But even in 97, or 99, sorry, when we won the treble, I remember we had videos then of the former players like Hughes and that lot, and I would watch all the goals and things from that generation. So I think that's pro- I think that partly is why it's so tough to watch at the moment, just because it's not... It seems to be by design, almost, or lack of, yeah. that we're like... Lang, you know, languishing in sort of like uh, almost approaching mid-table kind of. Like, yeah, well, being a journalist, I know journalists who are closer to the club and things like that. And obviously, one of the main benefits I think of being a, a southern-sounding Manchester United fan in the last few years is no one accuses you of being a Glory fan, which is, I guess, uh, small comfort. Yeah. But you have sources there saying you know there's disarray, there's this and that, there's the confusion, but in the club, there's a lack of identity and. But it's just words, really. And we compare it to Manchester City and you say there's Tiki uh, Bagiristan and people planning and plotting before Guardiola got there. There's a system in place. But it's very easy, as we know from when Fergie was at United, to sort of systematically say, well, this is wrong and this is right from a distance, but knowing exactly what's, what's gone wrong. Because this certainly it illustrates, and the talk at the moment is Harry Maguire, England central defender, to come to the club potentially, although perhaps that looks less likely now, for £80-plus million. Pounds. But the... The problem is when you've seen people like Angel Di Maria come in recent seasons, uh, even defenders like Lindelof, Baye come to the club with, with big price tags, it hasn't yet yielded a sense of progression. And I think it's almost knowing what the, the issue is and how you change your culture. And the, the other factor is that unlike Ferguson, who had that, I guess, four, uh, three and a half year run from the October 86 to 90 to win that trophy, no one's almost getting that time and the patience. So you sort of fall into a... I guess just experiencing what other people have experienced at other clubs where you feel like there's a lack of progression, but then there's that emotional thing of we need to change if it doesn't mm. quite come to fruition straight away. But it seems like poor, really poor planning and also really poor negotiations. Like we've had the mad price tags for people and we've also become uh, clubs that are, are sort of used in the news to push up prices for other <laughs> clubs, which is just yeah. like... You know, embarrassing position to be in, but it seems it seems like there's a problem with the. There does seem there to be a problem with the Glazers and the way the com, com, uh, the, the the business is being seen as a sort of revenue yeah. machine rather than a football club. Obviously, that's something that they're but the, all but, becoming. But, but the confusing aspect of that to me has always been though that there surely is a mutual goal of success mm. because. If you look at it, yeah, there's the history. There's people like Billy Meredith going back to the start of the 20th century. There's Matt Busby building those teams, the 48 team, the team that went on to be the Busby Babes, the tragedy of Munich, and that creates a law and a legend. And then best law and chant emerged from the kind of rubble of Munich under Busby and mm. the tragedy of, of that time. And that kind of created a history that romantically excites, I think, fans around the world. But also it's just the bedrock was recent times, that you know flotilla of success year after year yeah. with... With Fergie, and you just wonder that. Like, that's what the thing I don't understand about the criticism of Glazers to a certain extent is surely for them, it's mutually beneficial to, to do well and to invest. And they are invest- I mean, Harry Maguire. If you think the revenue for the club, the total turnover is five sixty million. And I know you spread a transfer over several years, but still to sign one player, potentially one of twenty five for um, over ten percent of your revenue, let alone your profit, is surely a sign of intent on their behalf. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But then there's also the kind of 
there's the incentives for buying homegrown players, aren't there? So their prices are just hugely inflated. So I mean, if you kind of like yeah, that that's a, that's made it a. But you also worry that you also worry in the Pogba classic case you get and Di Maria as well that you get great players in who excel elsewhere. But perhaps if the team structure isn't quite there the bedrock that Ferguson had, he could always bring players into it. And there were Jemba Jembas and people like that. It didn't quite work out. Bebe, but there were also predominantly players that came in mm. throughout that time. Cantona, Keane, you know, even before that, Palace to Hughes, people who built it around. And then in the, in the second half generation, Rooney, Ronaldo, yeah. those kind of people, it seemed that they fitted in well in, into, a, into a structure. Without the structure, yeah. you worry, that, is there enough to, to, for them to fit into? But then if you don't sign players, you, you're in the same place. It's like sort of hard, hard work and... And their attitude was something that seemed to bind them all. Like whatever, um, obviously there are things about Ronaldo's character that would be considered like potentially difficult. He's obviously a massive ego. Yeah, but he's, but he's ego obsessive, is like ruthlessly hardworking. Where, yeah. like in which, in the same way that you assume Ferguson must have been, because our teams were always hardworking and they always would win matches at the very. It was last almost an obsessive day. compulsive underscore to a lot of the players in terms of. Keen, yeah. Mark Hughes, people yeah, like that. It's yeah, just yeah. fiery competitiveness. Yeah. Stam, like yeah. Vidic. They all, they, all, and they all kind of appear now as majorly obsessed. And with a lot them. of that, but that goes into it. A lot of the people like to talk about, you know, the, the way we approach stats and things like that and the sort of money ball aspect come over from baseball, but also the psychological kind of profiling of players. But what you get the sense of the problem with it, United maybe was that one man in Ferguson had kind of infused every molecule of the club and it was doing all this intuitively and instinctively mm. and once you let him go there wasn't that template in place to scout players to assess their characters he maybe had an ability to to read those situations better than better than most yeah well you sort of, he so clearly marks a, a period where during his tenure football changed so massively that we we were we had a manager that was there for you know 20 years and then suddenly people are short-term managers are expected to be relatively short-term Effectively, uh, managers projects. become coaches, whereas he almost yeah. would withdrawn from the coaching. Yeah, to a certain yeah, extent. yeah, exactly. So if, it, if that has changed irrevocably, and perhaps it has, there needs to be like a director of football, a structure, that sort of yeah. thing, so that the club has some continu- con- uh, continuity. And you need someone to glue all those people together as well, don't you? Which yeah, is the... which the other clubs are do- clearly are doing, but <laughs> we're just not. I don't know. That's the... That's the worrying thing and the sort of crazy thing over the last few years is it's just like what's yeah. the plan where's everyone because ma- managers have become almost like marquee signings that you bring into head coach to be a catalyst for a few seasons and then almost once their effect starts yeah. to taper you then replace them whereas yeah, yeah. Ferguson was the kind of was the structure of the club in we, his modern he was, form he was the club wasn't he like he, he really like he so much was the the face the public face of the club so how does it affect you? Because obviously being a broadcaster in sport, I've had to be, and I think it's important to be impartial, although I get screenshots sent to me in the past when Manchester United won and I would be reporting on Sky News or Sky Sports News, I'd always be like, oh, you look happy tonight. And it's like, oh, no, I've just been happy anyway. It's the job, you have to have to smile, but people would always read into it. But you, you have to try and be impartial. I think it's important, particularly as I was growing up and becoming a broadcaster, because actually people generally had a resentment to United because they're winning everything and that seems to have dissipated as I, as I mentioned a moment ago. Mm. But you try and be partial. So for me, it was like controlling your emotions if United had a bad day or whatever like that. It became standard for me. Have you found it more difficult? I mean, I, I think the sense is when you lose more often and winning is less expected, the expectancy drops. In a sense, it becomes less impactful for daily life, doesn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you have to sort of 
develop a kind of healthy distance from it. Like, thankfully, you know, it's not like my my main. I'm not. It's not like my main kind of hobby of like following up on sport necessarily. Yeah. And, like, well, you're a, really well, you're a musician like, as well. So if you go gig, you can't be yeah downbeat because of because of that. Yeah. Well, some of your music's a bit downbeat, but it's more <laughs> uplifting now. Well, most of it. <laughs> um, but it's like. Not that's not United related. Um, but they, yeah, you sort of develop a certain distance from it and you can sort of have a laugh about it. But Yeah, you need just, a sense of humour, don't you? Which I think is what a lot of other fans of other clubs would have had for a long totally, time. Yeah, totally. Um, but the, the really frustrating thing is that there's so many times where I think, like, you know, oh, I've, I've, I've finished work at six, I'll go and watch the game. And I still have the, <laughs> I still have the like, thing of oh I'm free to watch the game thank god like oh yeah you know I'll go watch it and it's so often just this like boring drag well it doesn't doesn't feel familiar because you what for me you always capture is the lack of tenacity and fluidity the two things the energy and the lack of Mm. coherence sometimes you watch the game it almost just drifts by now doesn't it which is interesting comparison to before you always felt even if they were level at 20 minutes to go, they'd pull a move together. Something now, the games just yeah. sort of drift past you, which is a, quite a surreal experience. Yeah, I think that's the problem, is that it's just... It's like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind if we kind of had a, a slightly hectic loss, you know, lose a few goals and have a slightly, like, chaotic performance. Yeah. If it felt like, you know, players were getting angry about losing, if players were like, you know, if... If, if they scored a goal, if it looked like somebody was, was wanting to do it on their own, but we don't have any individuals who are like, don't yeah. seem to be like grabbing the game by a scruff of the neck or doing any, anything to, to really, to win games. So it, they just sort of drift and it's been, what is it? How long has it been? What, since won the title? Or well, since, since like Moyes and then... Well, Moyes came in 2013. So Ferguson pretty much announced it late doors, yes. May 2013, he was leaving. Yeah, so six, six years of just, just boring. That's, yeah. that's the thing is, it's, wor- it's worse, it's not, it, like I say, it's not like this sort of spectacular fall from grace where there's kind of interesting drama in, it's just been so boring. I think that's what, what quite often the pundits have. Well, yeah, it's been sort of sixth place has been the worst it's fallen. I mean, hopefully it won't go particularly lower than that, but it's... Yeah. It is the sort of seasons that kind of come and go, threaten something. There have been, of course, and a lot of people listening to this will think, you know, you guys are sort of um, ridiculous and ungrateful because actually there's clubs that, like my mate Tom and Sunderland have really suffered, yeah, sunk yeah. down divisions. But it is relative to 13 league titles and a couple of Champions Leagues in, in 20 years and always for a time contending in Champions Leagues as well, mm-hmm. semi-finals, finals. What, they have won the Europa League under Jose Mourinho. I think his emotional kind of roller coaster almost distorted the picture even more trying to work out what's uh, what's gone on there I mean for a, for a fan it's because I wonder what we get out of being fans and part of me wonders about you know that investment is it is it a sense of you do learn in the sort of emotional resilience if you are because you, when, you, when you grow up as a, a child you get completely aff- affiliated and connected to that team emotionally and invested in it and then you learn you have to learn to temper it don't you with losses and defeat perhaps there is a an element of, of growing up and maturity about that. Yeah, and I think what people people will often, you know, if I'm complaining about United, they're like, oh, it's not that bad, you know, it's still in the way. <laughs> and that's true, but it, supporting a club is is a ha- like a habit and a kind of, you get into patterns of like yeah. being excited to watch them, seeing an exciting game, you know, being 
being sort of disappointed narrowly and you get into the the behavior so then for it to completely change and also i think the other thing that people don't uh really appreciate is that it just feels like it's by design it's like if it if we if we felt like something hadn't gone our way or or if we'd have gone bust if it had turned out that our finances had been (laughs) completely buggered or whatever well to be fair there might be like quite a lot of borrowed money involved in the club so whatever that (laughs) the reality of that is but allegedly allegedly but in terms of the just, we've got lots of money. We have an incredible fan base. We have an amazing stadium like, and stadium, training complex. Yeah, all of that stuff. So it just feels like there's but, no plan. But those hypotheticals and those questions and that wondering is that's almost half the attraction because I was actually working the day that Sir Alex Ferguson announced in 2013 that he was going to leave the club at the end of the season. And I think they'd either won the title or very close to it. I think they probably won it by then in 2013 after Manchester, uh, Manchester City had just pipped them in 2012, signed Robin Van Persie. Been a great season, scored all the goals they'd lacked the season before and just being edged out for the title. There was a big um, kind of drama ran around and I was working at Full Time Devils, which is a Manchester United YouTube channel. And I just wonder, it's interesting, because of the huge fan base that's been built up over 20, 25 years at United and before that as well with the success and the stories with Busby and et cetera, et cetera, that there was this kind of great ingredients that has been for the past six years of so much digital content, YouTube channels, blogs, podcasts, vlogs, the whole kind of thing, examining this kind of phenomenon of what's wrong at the club because it has become a, quite an intellectual puzzle. Everyone's got a theory on what they need and what they need to replicate, who they need to replicate. Um, the latest, of course, Liverpool, the great rivals, and they still haven't won a title since 1990. And that's kind of in the back of your mind. Will it be like Liverpool? Will it keep edging away? Because I remember the 1990s, and you never thought at that point that Liverpool would go on and, and still not have won the domestic title by now. But maybe that's, in some ways, has, has galvanised some fans. Because without that, with the winning every week, it was there was sometimes less to talk about, in a sense. Less to wonder about, less to speculate. Yeah, I think it's... Sort of just don't really know where to where to start at the moment though because it's you you we you sort of have a try and talk with someone about you know that play they single out individuals saying that player's not good enough you know so like Pogba's been lazy that game or whatever it is yeah um, and actually when you look you, it's like I think what sort of Gary Neville's had uh, several goes at describing it after <laughs> after games and it's kind like lethargy looking around and not seeing anywhere and that's necessarily good enough and time moves on and, and, and refereeing moves on the laws move on so that's what people always you know level at me when you say i want a bit of character a bit of aggression you think football's a contact sport and they say well actually no it's changed you can't tackle now so the people like hughes keen and even cantal and some of these incidents were picked up and illegal at the time of course getting sent off but I still think there is, and you see it in other players, don't you? You see it in Fernandinho at Manchester City, you see it in mm. Angolo Kante, you see it in Ander Herrera, to be fair, a little bit Manchester United. Yeah, there's yeah, a spark yeah, yeah. and an energy and, and, and a passion mm. that I think is what most fans want to see because sometimes there's been a perception, and perhaps it's just a type of players that have been assembled together. There's not those hardcore, uh, energetic catalysts that, to, to drive the team. Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 he's a, and he's a sort of player you know that other teams dislike because he would nibble. At, <laughs> he would like you know put the professional foul or nibble at yeah. nibble at someone's heels, and it would be exactly what you needed. And he, and but we, he's. And you feel sorry for people like Pogba because maybe they're just not the type of player that we re- liken them to. That perhaps they sort of fit a different mold, and perhaps they're more of a the icing on the cake than the sort of the foundation. Well, I think I think Pogba is has been for me the one of two or three enjoyable players to watch for United for the mm. last like six years even sometimes again he sort of lets himself down but I, I think you're right that's because we're trying to fit him into this like marauding midfielder yeah. role when actually he's just a, a ridiculous creative force and you and if if it's a it's a heart it's a halfway between building a team around his particular talents but also not expecting him to do everything and for the also team. the profile and the expectancy I think around him is so huge that maybe he's just you know his name and his lore is kind of legend is, is elevated beyond perhaps his ability even if his ability is fantastic it's just because of the modern spectacle the fact that he's got millions and billions of people following his, his every brand. move on Instagram yeah, yeah it's so so big it's bizarre I mean Beckham was similarly but then Beckham was very industrious so that, is yeah that. that's the weird that's the odd thing I think that's changed and that seems to that seems to have changed is Players get these massive profiles without ever having like. I mean, I guess Pogba won the World Cup last year, but yeah. you can't say that. And Serie A titles for Juve. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, I suppose. But I mean, he had this sort of world. That's the difference, I suppose, with with how the information spreads is that they have these worldwide worldwide profiles just because people sort of catch glimpses of them on a yeah. in it on a video. And then it spreads here and everyone's going, oh, you need to buy Pogba for 100 million. It's like, they've never watched him well, the, play. Although the transfer market's the other thing that's crazy is you see so much money going and there's no guarantees necessarily. There's very few players who guarantee being able to move countries and deliver the output that they've delivered maybe in their, mm. their first hometown club or whatever it might be. So you're never quite sure whether that will come to play. I mean, they've looked banked on potential with Dan James this season and, and Wan-Bissaka, who looked good yesterday against Leeds United, or today against Leeds United in a, mm. a friendly over in Asia. And they've beaten Perth Glory, so maybe things are looking up. To just round off the chat, what do you think about your feelings, JJ, on the kind of role of sport in life, what it's given you? You played football at school, rugby at school. I think mm. still play a bit of football now in terms of the impact and the role it's given you. Is it giving you sort of sense of teamwork Character people talk about a little bit of discipline, maybe escapism. Yeah, I think I like recently. I was stopped playing football very recently. Pro- I hope hoping to do it again because um, I just kept getting injured, and it was like I think I just got to that <laughs> age where like my twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven. But like you know, I'd never had an ankle injury before, and I yeah. like buggered both of them, and then like my wrist, one of my. Uh, um, fractured my wrist all in like three months. You have to do it regularly, or yeah, yeah. So like three, all in three months, I was just like, oh. especially as my guitarist, I was like, you know, playing guitar and I hurt my left wrist, and I was suddenly thinking, actually, if I'm doing this for fun, and then it actually impacts my career. Yeah. I was like, so that was kind of gutting, but I hopefully will go back. But I think school, there's some of the best memories ever, like kind of grudge matches against local schools. I think it's like. This is the Worcester Grammar School, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And it gives you, it gives you, um, it's it's that it's that like really 
like luxurious feeling of focusing on what one thing so clearly. But is it, is it helped you in music as well? Because music's a career that's, that takes resilience, takes kind of, I guess, fortitude that perhaps in sport you do have those failures, you have those setbacks that, that keep keep coming. I mean, for me, it was always getting selected for some teams was hard and then other teams you just lost every week as well. So there's yeah. all those those character forging aspects I of it growing so. up. I think, yeah, it's important to have that because some people, did, I suppose you, yeah, I've never really thought of it that way, but it's people who necessarily haven't, had that feeling of even losing a goal or something the first at the start of the match yeah. you get that sinking feeling and then the sort of feeling of like stiffening up to like to to kind of carry on and win or whatever those kind of micro dramas yeah. I remember, I remember your micro dramas. So ten years older than you. I remember you having to get subbed because you were quite a big lad growing yeah. up, and you'd land on other kids, but you got wound up and yeah, to yeah. sub you out for a timeout and a cool down. Yeah, I was pretty. Yeah, I was pretty, aggra- <laughs> pretty aggressive. But that, I mean, that, even that, I don't. You know, I know like boxing. Boxing people say they sort of. It's uh, a release. Feel like a, yeah, aggressive release is really useful. I think that was almost certainly good for me, especially when, um, being like when Max moved. Uh, out of the house, the so second youngest brother, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was kind of at home alone from four. Well, because we used to play football in the garden every day, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when they moved, then suddenly I was like needing, needing those outlets as well because we used to wrestle and play yeah. football all the time. So I think it does give you those those outlets, and also just I think focusing on things and de- the, being determined about things. So. Yeah. Well, that, I think the outlet's important, particularly you can't talk for, for young women, but as young men, because, if you, you know, you look in the context, the flat you live in in London recently, there's a stabbing outside of that and they've correlated, you know, lack of fathers and leadership. But part of the reason they've said that lack of fathers in these communities has caused knife violence is because they don't learn that physical boundaries and that sort of rough housing that perhaps you'd get with, with male brothers and sisters. And that's a, a sports a vehicle for that, isn't it? Yeah. I remember kicking, I remember using target practice for you guys. I was sharpening my shooting by shooting across the garden at you, trying to hit you as you ran around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and Owen, Owen just used to like hack, used to hack us down in the garden. Like, yeah. Yeah, he didn't hold back, did he, even though he was my age. He was about you? 10 yeah. years older than me, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's um, even playing now with like tw- you know late guys in their late twenties, uh, just having a sort of friendly-ish, but you know kind of bit of competition. The, yeah, competition, but but friendly um, competition. You see that they're all they all love it. They absolutely yeah. love it. Like, it's also social as well. You move to a new place. Yeah. I think you get to know people. Well, this is yeah. This is gu- this is like girls, guys. Um, people who have never played growing up, people who are actually um, like ex, um, you know, kind of played for the academy teams and stuff. Massive mixture of people, but everyone's just like buzzing and really hates missing yeah. a week. And I think it's it's just like the best way of getting exercise as much as anything think, as well. Yeah, so. physically, I think it's like meditation as well. People talk about mindfulness and how you basically stop thought. When you're involved in a competitive, high-energy game, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier to stop thinking. When you come round after an hour of play, you feel rested and recuperated because your brain's not been spinning, yeah. spinning your wheels, kind of thinking about work stuff or family stuff or whatever it might be. So come on, let's tell us before we, uh, before we go, what's the, the music scene, where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. I am JJ Draper on yeah, Twitter, am, isn't it? Yeah, I am JJ Draper on uh, Instagram, well, everything, Instagram, Twitter and uh, Facebook. And uh, still, on, still on Facebook. And... For a millennial, that's unusual to be... Uh... Well, it's, yeah, just, it's just, I don't, I'm just pretty terrible. I don't really do anything on it. <laughs> it just like has a few links to things and stuff. But yeah, I don't few, know few people, people I know have been deactivating their accounts recently, but I don't know... 
kind of got a bad rep around the American elections and things like that, didn't it? Like manipulation. Yeah. I think artists really now are you are like I I quite enjoy using Instagram surprisingly as terms of sharing content or whatever at least, but I think people now use Facebook as a kind of almost a website. Yeah. And then that people can kind of find links to tickets or whatever and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, I am JJ Draper on everything and on Spotify and everything. The next gig is Lincolnshire, is it? Is that the festival? Yeah, Lincolnshire on the Woods Festival, tenth of August, which is uh, going to be great. It's in a beautiful place, and the guys who run it are um, are amazing. So I've been recording with some of those guys. So it's going to be great. There's loads of uh, kind of and Chris radio. Stark and Scott Scott Mills Scott Mills from Radio One are going to be there as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a really really. Um, amazingly linked up small festivals so yeah. there's loads of uh, loads of artists that are expected to do sort of big things next year and stuff so it should be the famous artist younger brother isn't there is that one of the guys uh, i don't know oh okay I'm not sure yeah Maybe. i'm off the pace i've been on holiday for two weeks <laughs> yeah. i don't know what's going on yeah well jage great to speak to you let's catch up with you soon yeah cheers